Do you realize that over 8 billion people live in the world? That's a lot of people. When I was 14 years old, I remember hearing there was over 6 billion people that live in the world. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of people. But the thought that comes to my mind when I think about 8 billion people living in the world is how many thousands of people die every single day. Every day. I know it's a gloomy afternoon and we're so close to Halloween. It seems like why in the world on a Sunday afternoon would you talk about this topic? I mean, out of all days, we should be talking about something else. But I, re I believe the reason why we need to talk about this is because too often we don't. It's an important topic. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that all of us have an appointment with death, whether we like that or not. One day we will have an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We don't only have an appointment with death, but we also have an appointment with God, and that judgment, we're going to stand face to face with God. I want to do this. I want to pause, and I want to pray with you. And I want to borrow your imagination and do something completely different this afternoon. I hope you can stay with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am asking, Lord, that you give us clarity of mind. Help us to enjoy this time together, but learn from it. Help us to know what we need to do in our lives to change. Help us to make a difference. Help us not to settle to be average. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, for clarity and direction as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. According to Hebrews 9.27, we all have an appointment with death, but it's up to us how we prepare for that appointment. You know, sometimes we think we have plenty of time. We think, I, I don't have to think about this. I have plenty of time, especially if you're younger. You think, I'm going to live forever. I don't, I don't have to worry about this. I have plenty of time. And here's the reality. The very disease that may take our bodies to the grave may be rushing through our veins at this very moment because we don't know when we're going to die. The flowers that may decorate your coffin may be blooming in the house as we speak because we don't know when we're going to die. Life is short. The Bible says life is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanisheth away. It's not a popular topic to talk about death, but there's so much we can learn about life if we talk about the subject of death. Here's the interesting thing. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible tells us and gives us clarity about death. Death is an entity that has been empowered by God to take life. What does that entity look like? I'm not really sure. But according to the book of Revelations, one of the four horsemen is death. And what death looks like can be translated in so many different ways according to whoever's speaking into it. For Hollywood, they make him out as the Grim Reaper. And for those that are telling scary stories around the fire at a campsite, maybe it's a little bit different. But I don't know exactly what death looks like in the fullness of his entity. But I do know this. Death is real. And death is something that we will all face one day. And we need to be prepared for that. I want to take you on a journey through biblical times and in biblical times past and look at characters in God's word that, that lived a life in a certain way that didn't always end well. And I want to take you on a journey that requires you to use your imagination. Some of us don't have much 
of an imagination because of social media, maybe because of Hollywood. You just don't know how to use your imagination. But if you can for a few minutes, I want to borrow your imagination and, and, and take you on a live interview with death. Is everybody with me? I'm not saying that we could literally do this, and you're not going to find this in God's Word where you can sit down and literally talk to death himself. But if we could use our imagination, I believe that we can learn so much if we could have an interview with death about how to live. And I want to look at some clear biblical accounts found in Scripture and go on a journey through God's Word. And through that, I believe that there could be a difference made in our lives. Is everybody with me? Yes, sir. You see, the rusty gates in front of the foyer swing open wide, offering a cordial invitation to any man that dare in. As we step onto the sidewalk, crack from side to side, trimmed on both sides, instead of seeing beautiful grass and bright green grass and shrubbery, we see thorns and thistles and briars, again reminding us of God cursing this land because of the fall of man. Just ahead of us, we see a time-invaded castle, I imagine above that castle we see a full moon and dark clouds signifying there's a storm nearby and about to come. As we step onto the poor dilapidated porch of that time invaded castle and turn to see the front lawn, instead of seeing these beautiful bushes trimmed, we see tombstones rising to the sky declaring the death of another individual. We turn to see a large wooden door and immediately notice a skull-shaped doorknob. We ring the doorbell and instead of hearing chimes, we hear the death march begin to play. Within moments, we hear footsteps come across that chattered castle, and the doorknob begins to shift from side to side. As the door swings open wide, there standing in front of us is a man with a black hooded cloak, the hands of a skeleton, but the face of a thousand midnights. I'd imagine with a voice of gruesome grime, he whispers the words, come in. As we step into the foyer of that time-invaded castle, where we immediately notice half-burnt candlesticks burning all around the main entrance and cobwebs swinging from the ceiling to the wall. And in the distance, we can see what looks like to be a skull-shaped throne. We walk into the midst of that castle, and the light begins to be a little bit brighter. We notice there's demonic images on either side. I believe this is where death dwells. And he slowly slithers into his throne of darkness and crosses his bony fingers. Let's imagine as the interview begins. Death, I know you're a busy, very, very, very busy man. And we don't want to take much of your time. We were just wondering, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? There's some things that we don't really know about you. And we were just wondering, could you talk to us and let us know a little bit about who you are? I'd imagine death leans up on his throne, uncrosses his bony fingers, and says, you know, I am a very busy man. There's no doubt that I am probably the busiest person that ever existed. For a matter of fact, I, 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 I've consumed the life of 150,000 people in one day. I do that every single day. I don't know if you realize this, but I've also taken the life of 6,000 people every single hour. But it goes further than that. I make sure that I am doing my job so well that over 105 people die every single minute. By the end of the year, 55 million people will die because of me doing my job. That's how busy I am. I passed over Ethiopia not too long ago and consumed hundreds of people's lives in one day. I am a very busy man. I not only do that, but I make sure my presence is made known at every cemetery, every graveyard, and every tomb so they can feel the chilling reality of who I am. I am death. That's what I do. Death, I understand that. 
And we, we are very busy too. We have a lot going on today and we don't have a whole lot of time. But could you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Could you talk to us about that? I'd imagine death says, who I am? There's so much about me that I could say, but there's only three key things you need to know about me. These three things will change your life. The one is this, when it comes time to die, there's never a shortage in the land. You see, a community may never have a post office, a community may never have a grocery store, but every community is going to have a graveyard because when it comes time to die, there's never a shortage in the land. There's something else you need to know about me. When it comes time to die, there is no favorites involved. I don't care if you're a king or a queen. It doesn't matter to me if you're a pop star or a movie star. I'll make my move, I'll take my victim, and you'll die just like everybody else. Just yesterday, I visited the room of Matthew Perry, the very famous movie star and the one that starred on Friends. I took his life. I did that because I have no favorites. But there is one more thing, and I imagine he leans up in his throne, he looks us straight in the face, and he says, listen to me and listen to me well. Because when it comes time to die, there's no sympathy involved. It doesn't matter to me if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you have fought cancer your entire life and almost got victory. When it comes time to die, I'll make my move, I'll take my victim, and you'll die just like everybody else. When I was a youth pastor in Tennessee, I had a little boy in my youth group. His name was Colin, and he went four-wheeling with his dad. I remember the day that I got the news that Colin was hit by a truck. He was driving his four-wheel across the road. His dad yelled out to him to look both ways. He didn't, and he got hit by that truck. I rushed to the hospital. I'll never forget watching down the hallway Colin's dad come out of that room when he found out Colin was not going to make it. He fell to the ground, and I thought, why? He's 13 years old. Come on. Surely we can cut him a break. Surely there's hope. But here's the reality. I realized at that very moment, death does not care. There is no sympathy involved when it comes to death. He makes his move. He takes his victim and they die. Death, I understand. And I appreciate you taking the time to explain to us a little bit about who you are and how you work and how busy you are, but can you do us one more favor? Could you tell us how do most people die? I mean, it would help us live a better life if we knew how people die and how we can better prepare ourselves. I imagine death jumps off his throne, grabs a half-burnt candlestick off the wall, and he walks up to a large wooden staircase and he says, there's so many different ways that people die. Thousands upon thousands of different ways that people die from suicide to murder. People have died because of cancer and because of war. But there's only two conditions in which people will die in. And I'm gonna show you those. So we make our way to the top of the staircase. Imagine with me a long hallway with doors on either side. And I imagine death says, this is the hall of time. Behind every door is the last moments of people's lives. But I only wanna show you two. Two from biblical history. Two that you'll find in God's Word, your Bible. And these two men died in a very specific way. 
Imagine he comes up to a door and we immediately notice a skull-shaped doorknob. He takes out his keys and each key is a skeleton key and he opens the door and when the door swings open wide, they're laying on a solid brass bed with the most beautiful silk sheets we've ever seen from Egypt is a man a very wealthy man. As we look around the room, we can notice in the closet there's purple and fine linen and some of, the, some of the greatest foods in the land laying next to his bedside. His wife holding his hand. This is the man found in Luke chapter 16 in verse 19. The Bible calls him the rich man. We don't even know his name. All we know is there was a certain rich man that Jesus told us about and he fared sumptuously every day. He had everything he could ever imagine and ever want. But the Bible says there was a time that came and he had to die. I imagine that death looks at us and says, now watch him. He's going to die just like everybody else. He has everything he could ever, ever want except God. You see, this is the room of the unrighteous. This is the room that represents every man, woman, and child that chooses to live their life without God himself. They chose to live their life their way instead of God's way. And they thought that they could have life the way they want and it would be okay. Except with God, it never is. I'd imagine death begins to hover over his body, stick his icy fingers around his throat, and as he begins to swing, squeeze and squeeze tighter and tighter, I imagine he reaches out to his wife's hand, grabs her hand, and he looks at her and says, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. But it's too late as death begins to squeeze and says, now watch him. He's about to die. He's about to die. And slowly we see the life leave his body. And death looks at us and says, you see, it didn't matter how much money he has. When it comes time to die, he dies just like everybody else. Here's the reality. Me and you can have all the ideas in the world for our lives. But if they do not include God, we've missed out on life. We've, lived, we've missed out on the reality of what life was meant to be. The, the rich man, the Bible says in Luke chapter 16, died and in, in, in was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes. The consequences of sin are awful. But here's the reality that I want us all to understand. There's only two locations after death. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven of your sins, heaven can be your home. But if you reject God, the Bible makes it very clear that you will not be welcomed into heaven because you've rejected who he is. Therefore, you choose to live in your sin. And the only alternative is hell. Exactly what the Bible says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 concerning the rich man. The reality is you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have God, you'll have an emptiness in your life. Here's something that's so profound in Scripture. What does a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So you got six digits, you drive a $60,000 vehicle, you live in a half a million or a million dollar home. But without God, you have nothing. You have nothing, you have nothing, and you'll die with nothing. Because you can take nothing with you. The reality is when this life is over, it is over. And so my question is for you and for me, are we in the condition, are we in the condition of the unrighteous or are we ready to meet God? Have we asked Jesus Christ in our life, are you a believer or a non-believer? I'd imagine death turns and looks at us and says, listen, we only have one more condition left and then we have to call this, this interview to a close because I have to go. I'd imagine he goes to the door, opens it wide, and begins to walk outside, shuts the door and locks it. We go down the hallway for a long distance. And as we make our way to the, the end of the hallway, we notice a door on the right-hand side, and he begins to unlock it. And before he opens the door, he says, behind this door 
is one more condition that you need to be aware of, and it is the condition of the unprepared. I will let you know the man behind this door is a man of God that believed in God and trusted God. He will go to heaven, but he's not prepared to meet God. This man is very unique and different from the first man we met. The first man rejected God and he died in his sin. He was unrighteous. But this man is just not prepared. I'd imagine he unlocks the door, the door swings open wide, and we find a man in Ruth chapter 1. The account is in the biblical account is found in Ruth chapter 1. His name is Elimelech, a very strange name. And there lying by his side is his wife. He's in a different sort of environment, a, a unique environment with a dirty floor and clay walls. We notice in the corner his two sons standing off to the distance. His face is sunk in, his hands are bony, and as he reaches out to his wife, he, he begins to reminisce on the decisions he's made. And I'm going to tell you about the decision he made. Because the Bible explains to us in Ruth chapter 1 in the Old Testament the decision he made. See, he used to live in a land called Bethlehem, Judea. It's called the place of bread. They have everything they ever needed and wanted. God supplied. They were in the will of God. But then there was a famine that rose up and they decided to move. And so he took his family and went to a place called Moab. Moab is a wicked land. Moab is a pagan land. Moab has rejected God. And because of his desperation, trying to do what he thinks is right, he took his whole family out of God's will to do his will. And now life has come to a close. I imagine death looks at us and says, this man was in the perfect will of God, but chose to turn his back on God. And now it's too late. He can't fix what he's done because he's now about to die. Let me tell you something that's very personal to me. Right before my father passed away in Alabama, my dad called me and he said, Dave, I'm going to change some things about my life. He said, I want to be more intentional with the grandkids. I want to be more intentional with you. When you guys come home for this summer, I am going to do my very best to spend time with you guys, to go, go fishing and do stuff together and maybe play some games. And I said, that would be great, Dad. I'd love that. He said, I wish I could change the condition of my health. I, I need to be more serious about it, more intentional. I said, that would be great, Dad. But not too long after that, my dad died. He didn't have the opportunity to change his life. It was too late. It's a horrible thought. And it's stuck with me ever since the day he died. Because here's the reality. Life is short. This life is not going to last forever. And whatever God is telling you to do, you better do it now. And as Christians, if you see yourself slowly slipping and doing things that you shouldn't do and you've allowed sin in your life, and you say, it's okay, it's okay, I can deal with this, I'll be all right. Let me tell you, it's not okay, you're not going to be all right because one day before you know it, you're going to die and you're going to wish you could go back and fix what you allowed in your life. It's a slippery slope. Y'all following me? And Elimelech, sitting there with his wife, Naomi, he calls his boys over and he says to his boys, please, whatever you do, don't make the same mistake as your daddy. Go back to Bethlehem, Judea. That is the promised land that God has promised his people. Don't die here like your dad did. And or is going to, and I imagine death leans over his bed and begins to dive in deep and begins to put his hands around his throat and he begins to squeeze tighter and tighter. I believe as the life left his body, the last thought, that Elimelech may have had is, why didn't I go back? I imagine death turns around and looks at us and says, listen, I told you, it's too late. 
It's too late for him now. This is the condition of the unprepared. This is those that die thinking they have plenty of time to spend with their family. Plenty of time to get the, the sin out of their life. Plenty of time to turn that toxic relationship around. But they end up living with that person for the years and years and dying in that relationship. This, this is the room of the unprepared. Those that thought they had plenty of time. I imagine death looks at us and says, listen, listen. I don't have any more time. This is it. We need to call it a, a, a quit. We need to move on. I need you and in, in, in the rest of you in this room to leave because my time is, is up and your time is up as well. This interview is over. We step into the hallway. And I imagine as death makes his way down the hallway, we can see at the end of the hallway another room. And the reason we notice this room from all the other rooms is because there's a light under the door and it seems like there's a flash. The doorknob is distinctly different. The doorknob is not a skull-shaped doorknob at all. It's a, it's a cross. I'd imagine we look at death and say, hold on, hold on, death. What, what's behind that door at the end of the hallway? And I imagine death probably got a little nervous as he begins to shuffle his feet, wring his bony hands and said, listen, what's behind that door doesn't really matter because the condition that man dies in Though it's unique and different, it doesn't matter because he still dies. As nervous as he is, we ask the question, well, can you show us anyway? Because you said there was only two conditions that people can die in. But you just said there was a condition that man died in that's obviously not the same condition of the other two that just, we just watched die. Can you show us behind that door? I'd imagine death says, fine. With frustration, I begins to walk down that hallway, and as he gets to the end of the hallway, we notice he doesn't have a key to this door, and the door is not even locked. I imagine he turns and looks at us and says, listen, what you're about to see is a gruesome sight, but it's a reality that you all must face. And the reality is, though you might have a sympathetic mentality toward this man, he's going to die just like everybody else. As he begins to open the door, and the door swings open wide, and this burst of air blows into our face. In the distance, we can see a hillside. Can you see it with me? Dark clouds above. We begin to see lightning begin to strike, and the thunder we can hear in our ears. And at that moment, at that moment, we realize that we are about to face the cross of Jesus Christ. At that moment, we begin to realize... This is the Son of God. So we make our way to the top of the hill. We stand at the foot of the cross. And I look to the left and I see a thief on this cross. And I look to the right and there's a thief on the other cross. And there in front of us is the Son of God. Jesus. I imagine death turns and looks at us and says, Listen, that man on that cross, that thief, he died in the condition of the upright. That's what this room is. Those that can die right with God, he's already gone. That man on that side, he died as an unrighteous. He denied Jesus and he chose to die that way. And the man in the middle, yeah, he's about to die too. But his death is going to change the world. But don't be sympathetic toward him because he has to die just like everybody else. As it begins to hover around the body of Jesus and put his icy fingers around his throat, according to Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says that Jesus breathed in and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My Heavenly Father, my God, to the Holy Spirit. 
and it's beginning to die. He cries out with a loud voice and he takes in one last breath. But it's not just any breath. It's a breath of victory. It's a breath of triumph because he cries out, It is finished. And the Son of God bows his head on a lifeless chest and he dies. I'd imagine death looks at us and says, I told you. The only difference between this man and every other man is, I didn't take his life. He gave it to me. And at that moment, we realize that this is the condition that God wants us to die in. Here's the interesting thought. You, death, have taken so many lives. And my question is this. You've said you've made your presence known at every graveyard, every cemetery, and every tomb. Where is this man buried? And not only that, my other question is death. Your keys to every door except this one. Where's your keys? And imagine as death looks at us and begins to get nervous once again. He says, this man is a different man. For three days and three nights, I hovered over this man's tomb, but something happened on the third day that I can't explain. I can't even put in words. I held him down just like I've been empowered to be able to do for years and years and years. But at this moment, the Son of God got up. He took the very authority that I had over, over every individual and He took my keys, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Not only that, he rose again. And today, I have no power over what he has done. And those that are right with God, I have no power over them as well. I want you to know, face this reality as believers in Jesus Christ. This is the most powerful thing you can walk away with. If you die in the condition of the upright, those that are right with God, those that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those that put their faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else, no wishy-washiness saying there's other avenues to heaven. There's only one way, one way, one way into heaven. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you then step into that realm of the condition of the upright. And you can walk into glory one day when this life is over and know that you're secure in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says this, O grave, where's thy victory? Now watch, O death, where's your sting? The reason the Bible says that is because it's a declaration to death and to the grave that through Jesus Christ we have victory and it cannot hold us back. You say, does that mean I'm going to live forever? Not here on earth, but I do believe this with all my heart because this is what the Bible says. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ after this life is over, you will spend eternity somewhere. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that eternity, if you're in the condition of the upright, is going to be with God Almighty. That's what life is truly about. So when we face death, let's face, de face death with bravery. And know that I was created for a purpose. I was created to have a purpose in life. I don't want to live an empty life. God meant for everybody in this room to know Him, to experience Him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's a gift to God, not a works, lest any man should boast. That means you have faith. You can believe in whatever you want. But the most powerful thing that you can do today is accept the free gift of heaven 
by putting your faith in God. That is the condition of the upright. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, with nobody looking out of respect to those around you, it's time to make a decision. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 14 years old. It changed me. You say, are you perfect? No, everybody can tell you I'm not. But I'm changed. See, my home when I die is not just the ground. It's not hell. With all that I know and believe within me, it's heaven. And the reality is this. Today, heaven can be your home. All you have to do is use your faith. You say, my faith, yeah, that stuff that I was talking about a minute ago that people can believe in, all the different things that people choose to believe in, that's not what God wants. He wants you to believe in truth. He wants you to put your faith in Him. So by faith, you can accept Jesus Christ right now. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, Dave, I know for sure, I'm 100% sure if I died right now, I would go to heaven. I am a Christian and I'm not ashamed. Would you raise your hand as high as you can without a doubt? If you are a Christian, if you're not, don't raise your hand. Thank you. you. may put your hand down. How about this? You say, Dave, I couldn't raise my hand. Or I raised my hand and maybe I shouldn't have. I'm not a Christian, but I need Jesus in my life. And I want to ask him into my life right now. I, 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 by faith, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, all you have to do is simply confess to God, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he lived he died and he rose again. Right there in your seat by yourself. Pray. Say, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I want to be 100% sure I'm going to heaven. So I'm giving you my life right now. Right now I'm doing that. If you just prayed in your own words and asked Christ in your life, nobody's looking. Would you be brave enough to raise your hand and say, Dave, I just did that. I have such clarity about it. Would you raise your hand really high? Anybody like that? And you say, Dave, that's me. I just prayed and I know for sure that I've just given my life to Jesus Christ. And I am not ashamed of that. How many of you say, Dave, I've already done that and I know for sure. That is sealed. I know for sure. Raise your hand. Now here's my question for you. Are you prepared? You say, I'm a Christian, but I haven't lived like a Christian. And maybe that's my problem. I need to change some things. And if you're not prepared to meet God, it's time to prepare. So my question for you is, are you willing to just get real with God right there in your seat and say, God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, the thing that I've involved myself in. I'm asking you right now from this day on to help me to be an intentional Christian for you. And if you mean that with all your heart, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're willing to sincerely mean that with all your heart, I know that God can change your direction. And you don't have to die like a limelack. You can die in the will of God prepared to meet God. So right now in your seat, examine yourself. What is it that's missing in your life? And just say, God, I need to get this right. Will you do that?